0: welcome everybody to a recovery machine my name's nathan joined as always by co-host Corey. how are you doing co-host Corey? hey i'm good i'm good i'm very glad to be back with you here yeah me as well yeah it's uh getting harder and harder to get these sessions in um we'll, we're both busy but uh i think it's important to at least uh keep up you know to the best of our ability so yeah definitely that's what we're trying to do. Uh, today, we thought we would uh, cover a, a topic that is important for everybody, especially here in BC and uh, across North America, really, but this is uh, becoming more of a problem. Uh, that That's uh, Trank Dope, what they call Trank Dope, which is uh, something that we'll talk about along with the uh, the differences between just you know what uh, straight up fentanyl would look like compared to benzodope and then the the next level of uh adulterated product that is called Trank dope usually yeah. uh, or sometimes I guess on the news they call it like uh zombie drug or or whatever they yeah whatever gets the clicks. So yeah, I don't know. Starting with with fentanyl, I mean uh what do we know about that? Why did that replace heroin well i mean the the
1: initial origins of why at its roots i'm not really sure but but what we do know is that um a little bit of fentanyl goes a lot farther on the market than a little bit of heroin does the That's you right. know on a on a milligram or microgram level uh it's a fraction of the amount of heroin or any other opiate for that matter that is required for therapeutic effect
0: that's right so this goes back to the iron law which states that the tighter the restrictions uh, as far as your uh, drug policy is concerned the more potent the drug will become and this is for uh pragmatic uh just uh, simple smuggling reasons right exactly
1: exactly you can um, you can hide uh a little bit of fentanyl that will go a lot further and sell for a lot more than, you know, these bricks of heroin that That's you, know, right. you used to see in the movies or you used to see on the news. Even you yeah. don't see that anymore.
0: No, you don't. And I don't, no. it makes me wonder, like, is there anybody in North America who is in possession of like, you know, old school, like China white or some kind of like heroin. Oh, uh, I don't, yeah. I, I
1: can't imagine that there is,
0: yeah cuz I mean, maybe you,
1: probably but but they are few and far between.
0: Yeah, it's maybe it's like a maybe there's like a connoisseur class of uh, super rich people who can afford that or something. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. But yeah, so that's so I guess it started with um fentanyl kind of sneaking into the heroin supply and then eventually essentially replacing it entirely. Mm-hmm. And The problem with fentanyl, um, even though it's, you know, it is an opiate class medication is that while it is much more potent, it has a short half life. So that means it, it wears off very quickly. And, um, so this is a problem if you're going to try to replace heroin entirely with fentanyl. And so what they did is, uh, the manufacturers decided to start adding things to fentanyl to um not just as cutting agents uh, like to bulk up the product for you know obvious profit reasons you want to kind of fluff up whatever fentanyl you can get into the whether right. you're getting it from china or mexico or or wherever um i mean just uh just for kind of a, an idea of context here if you can if you can get say a, like a shoebox size full of fentanyl from China, which is where most of the finished product is coming from, I think, or Mexico. Uh, Mexico does do a lot of the finishing, but the large majority of the precursors and stuff I think are still coming from China. So if you can get a shoebox full over here, you're in pretty good shape financially. Mm -hmm. I think that's worth a tremendous amount of money because you can then take that pure fentanyl uh, and cut it with different analogs and uh, bulk it up to such an extent that that goes a very, very long way. So the original problem, I guess, that they were having is users would have to, you know, you'd have to inject like maybe six or seven times a day mm-hmm. with, with mm-hmm. these With these first, uh, once fentanyl kind of took over. Uh, so what they did was they came up with uh, Benzodope, which is usually fentanyl cut with Tazolam. Uh, there's Alprazolam uh, analogs that they use and then... Um, there's a bro, I think bromazolam is the other one Yeah, that are, that are usually used. And then what that does is it, it, uh, the idea is that it kind of prolongs the, prolongs the high and also bulks up the product further. <laughs> so you see you, now you've got, you know, whatever per- percentage of fentanyl plus whatever percentage of cutting agent and then a certain amount of maybe a couple of these different uh, benzodiazepines. So you put this all together. Now you've got a producer who's making more money because the fentanyl that they do have access to is going further. The user is uh, experiencing a high that lasts longer, is more more heroin-like, old-school heroin, and put it right next to pure fentanyl. And I think most people would prefer the heroin's uh longevity. Like it would have more legs, they so say, right?
1: But now with with, with benzo or any of those benzos, is it not just a a sleepier effect?
0: There is sedation uh effects obviously that come with the benzos, but then they the uh producers will counter that as well. And so okay. what they the most like from the information that that's available to me and I mean, this is fairly well known that caffeine is the, like that. Right. When you see benzodope or, um, uh, Trank it's, it's usually with, uh, caffeine. There's a different reason for why they do that with Trank, but caffeine, um, is, is another bulking agent that is put in there. And that, that kind of is, is trying to offset some of the like extra drowsiness that you're gonna get from the, the benzo. Like you they're they're looking for a certain type of nod, but not they're trying to make it like heroin as much as possible, but not right. You know, not overdo it so you're completely blacked out all the time. That's that's my understanding of it anyways. So that was kind of the the first sort of attempt to give fentanyl longer legs basically okay
1: and is that what's happening is is and maybe I'm jumping ahead a little bit here but but uh is there when i say there the producers of this on whatever level is the the goal is it being actualized or is it turning, is it becoming a having a more negative effect than that desired effect of going back to kind of like the making it more heroin like
0: well i i mean i can't say for sure but i would say that benzodope was successful from a financial point of view okay yeah i i mean you've you've got a product that uh users don't have to use as frequently you know they instead of uh maybe six, injecting six times a day you, you're down to two or three right
1: mm-hmm. so
0: that's that's a pretty big benefit
1: so you're still though you're still i have so many questions about this it's so fascinating the the person who's using though does not know how many micrograms or milligrams of anything is in it that's right so so if there is fentanyl if there's enough fentanyl in it to suppress the respiratory drive Mm -hmm. and then enough benzo or trank on on in it as well uh to have that heavy sedative effect that's trouble is it not
0: uh, yeah, it's, it's big trouble. And, uh, I mean, at first, when I looked at this, like uh, my first assumption, like I didn't understand denso dope in, at first either. And I, I still don't understand some parts of it. like, I, I don't understand some of the adulterants they use. Like I, I can see what they're doing on a chemical level, but to some extent, I mean, uh, but I, I can't, I don't know why they're choosing some agents over others. Yeah. And, and um, I mean, you got to, when you, you look at these things on a GCMS, you'll see like 10 different, sometimes 10 different products in there, right? Yeah. And uh, so you'll get like uh, maybe two different benzos, caffeine, there'll be a, some sort of sulfa drug analog in there. Some things that appear to be maybe straight up cutting agents that uh, you know they think won't be just whatever they can get in there that won't be detected, that, that will bulk it up but yeah it's i mean it, it it's hard to know exactly users are kind of going by feel most of the time mm-hmm. when uh with with some of these products right or all of these products right now yeah why sulfur drugs
1: why would they now, put sulfur in there
0: i have no idea what that one uh the I, I see that one pop up a lot uh i haven't had time to investigate i mean this is <laughs> this is pretty complex uh, chemistry that that's sure. going on here, especially when when you get to the level of this, uh, like with tranct dope. And I mean, we just, uh, like I said, we just got the warning here a couple weeks ago in Kelowna that there was a yellow powder and yellow pills that would that had uh, like real. There was actual zolazine in there, which is the that is the the drug that makes it tranq dope, and right. So I mean. I guess for for people to understand the difference between fentanyl and then fentanyl with uh, benzodiazepines, which is benzodope, and then dope. this is when they add this. uh, It's basically a, uh, it's a veterinarian medicine that is used for anesthesia. It's a sedative, it's a uh, muscle relaxant Mm -hmm. uh, anesthetic um, called xalazine, and it's not scheduled. So that's that's one useful thing. Uh. About. So um, that has got something to do with it for sure. Yeah. Also, the weird thing that, that they saw in the States with it was the Zalazine that they were getting and seeing in the samples was not a product of a clandestine lab. So it, it, it's coming from above ground sources. And that mm. means that it's being diverted somehow through the, Uh, the wholesalers through through vets basically right yeah yeah and uh i didn't look into i I don't know how it factors in price wise i mean i i don't know for sure it's a lot less expensive than fentanyl (laughs) um and i mean it's it's not a drug that's usually it's not approved for human use because of uh it's it's pretty unpredictable as far as what it does to our our heart, lungs and, and breathing and stuff like that. But so, yeah, that's, that's the difference. And there's a few things I think that are, that people should be aware of as far as that are kind of extra, extra dangers with, with Trank. And I I don't know how much time you've had to, to kind of keep your eye on this stuff, Corey. I know you're busy down there, but do you, do they issue warnings when when there's bad batches still down there, it's that...
1: yeah. I've seen warnings online. Uh, I know that it circles throughout the healthcare community that that there's information out there on a street level. I'm not I'm not too sure. Presumably that information is out there, you know, from the healthcare because uh, I know they must be seeing it. Mm-hmm. Um, and certainly lots of stuff online still. Lots of stuff on on X, formerly known as Twitter.
0: That's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, this I, it just what struck me is that I've never seen a a chronic heavy user scared before by a mm. product. And I've never seen people choose to be in withdrawal to the extent like I've never in other words, they're so concerned with the product and how deadly it is because they're watching people just, you know take this stuff and drop, right? Yeah. and that kind of made me, that that shook me up a little because I am not something you're used, I'm used to seeing and then uh when they came around and we had the uh, we had the local patrol guys who just kind of monitor our area here in Kelowna, and they came around and and gave us a heads up that things were probably going to get a little crazier and it was interesting to, to me because I I what I was seeing was uh what a lot of people are seeing and have been seeing for a while but there seemed to be an uptick in the amount of, uh, open ulcers and, uh, just, um, with chronic, uh, drug users, a lot of times you'll see, I mean, this is one thing that Benzodope is bad for is, uh, you're more likely to fall, right? Right. Uh, you're more likely to pass out, which means you're more likely to get farmed or, uh, which means somebody's more likely to steal all your stuff. You're more likely to get beaten up, taken advantage of, uh, Whatever, but during those falls and during those uh, events where you're assaulted or whatever, any kind of injury, uh, what what I started to notice was that people were coming in or being discharged from the hospital with open sores that were like I I was just like I'd look at it and be like, how the hell are you not back at the hospital? Like, how did they discharge you? And they they would say, well, it just it's not healing, like it's not doesn't heal. I mean, well, what do you mean it doesn't heal? Like I would look at it, and there'd be a lot of peripheral edema. So the the, the site, like say, lots of times it would be on the lower leg, and the whole the whole foot and the whole leg would be very swollen. And that alone, I would be like, well, Jesus, why didn't they take some of this fluid off before they got you out of there, type of thing, or maybe get mm-hmm. you into compression stocking? But apparently, I guess what happens with with uh, Trank Dope is there's uh it actually gives you uh you could say it gives you diabetes in a way. And that I had, really? uh, yeah, yeah. I had no idea. Cause I, I also started to notice that some, some of our, our patients were being put on uh, glucose monitors and were a lot more of them were, exhibiting signs of hyperglycemia and i was like what in the hell is going on here like these are people who don't you know either have type 1 diabetes or you don't you don't right (laughs) uh, if it's adult onset then it would be type 2 diabetes which is usually the result of like poor lifestyle choices you know regarding diet and exercise but these would be tiny you know 100 pound women or whatever and they're blood sugars through the roof and i'm like what is what is going on and when i looked into one of the effects of the of xylazine is that it desensitizes tissue to insulin so and and what i think is happening is it it seems to be especially bad in the areas that are already susceptible to like uh poor oxygen saturation. So your extremities, like your fingers and your mm-hmm. toes. And that's another thing I know is uh, people were starting to really complain about their their toes a lot. Like this is before it even got cold. Right. Like I looked at a couple of people's feet and I'm like, oh, you got circulation. Like, I, you know, it doesn't look that bad. But they'd say they can't feel their toes. And, and I, I don't understand what's going on here, but, but uh, I think that's what it is, is this, um, Xalazine, Kind of induced hyperglycemia where you can't, there's a decrease in the amount of glucose that's being taken up by that tissue. And that in combination with the way it, uh, Zalzine also drops your blood pressure and your heart rate substantially. So now your heart is not pumping, your blood pressure is lower. Any blood that would normally reach those extremities is slowed down and then the blood that does get there is not it's not providing the normal healing that it would because of course the the, the glucose is not there yeah i'm with you so that's why these wounds aren't healing and i'd see in prescriptions like doctors keep writing prescriptions or like daily witnesses of antibiotics and it's not doing a goddamn thing and this is why it's mm. it's not it's not actually like some of these wounds I I look at them and I can see that they're not infected or they've been cleaned and debrided and uh, it's just that they won't heal and the reason they won't heal is because of this particular aspect of dilazy yeah. which I thought was pretty I had no idea that that was the case and is that um,
1: happening after after you know relatively short-term
0: exposure? Well we don't know. Like we know, we could we can use it safely in livestock, um, in like, but usually that's one or two doses, right? And it, and it and it clears very quickly, and they're very like we don't really have a lot of <clears throat> data to to understand the way that humans would clear it under these circumstances. So yeah, it could be that what I suspect is happening is maybe you get. Like, m- most of this stuff is in the supply, like, I don't know at what, what point they call it track dope, but if, if ziazine is in, let's like, say, 1% of the sample, it's going to have a significant impact in the way that drug works. You're going to have um, all these effects that I'm talking about here, including, like, you're, you're going to be more likely to just black out. You're walking along mm-hmm. all of a sudden, and that's because you're, I, I think it's because of these uh, effects it's having on your heart, right? I mean it is a it's what they call an alpha uh, alpha 2 agonist so for anybody who's familiar with the drug clonidine you're probably familiar with yeah for it, sure that's what xylazine is an analog of clonidine okay so, so you can think of it like that it all basically all the same effects to your cardiovascular system except I didn't I was not aware of uh, of clonidine having any sort of effect with hyperglycemia
1: hmm is there and i, I was I wanted to, to to talk about antidotes and and the antidote for benzos, but is, and we'll get to that maybe just after this, but is there an antidote for for zalazine?
0: Uh, there is theoretical antidotes, uh, and there are probably teams of people right now trying to figure that out, yeah. Um basically all you need is an elf to antagonist, but and we do have those. Uh like uh Yohimbi was the first one that came to mind mm. for me, but there is uh there is another one that they use atapamazole. I think. Yeah, mm. is the yeah. uh the the one that's been considered. I I think the problem is. Because there's a, you can't like we don't have good detection, Uh, like there's no way of uh, instantly knowing how much xalazine is on board for a patient. They're almost certainly going to have other stuff in their system, so right now what they're going with is still hit them with Narcan, even though the Narcan is only going to that's only going to help with the opiate part, obviously. Right. The benzos like it's unlikely that benzos will kill you by themselves, but maybe in the, in, in under circumstances where the patient, ha- they know the patient's been drinking also. Right. Maybe then because there's the, the it becomes a more lethal combo. Then maybe they would give uh, the antidote for, 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 benzos with Narcan at the hospital, I would assume. Yeah.
1: Which during my time in nursing, that was flumazinel or an x
0: Yes. That's, that's still the one that I believe yeah. they're using. Yeah. So, and that even that is, I mean, I've never seen that done, but it's tricky, right? Like your yeah. cardiovascular yeah. risk, uh, seizure risk.
1: Yeah. And it, and it's not uh, my own experience with giving an exate and, and I was giving that prior to Trank dope mm-hmm. or, or Benzodope, um, but giving it for Benzo, overdoses or suspected benzo overdoses it's not a great drug it's not like um it's not even as it, not like narcan mm. where it's so immediately kind of responsive and this is again pre you know fentanyl or carfentanyl or any of those things too just not as clean or nice of a, or easy of a drug to administer as naloxone is uh, for my yeah. recollection
0: no you that's reflected in the data for sure it's unpredictable yeah uh it it's you you, re, you really got to keep an eye on uh, vitals and stuff like that mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um so there's that and then uh yeah <laughs> so basically to find an antidote or something that would be like narcan for trank is complicated by multiple factors you got the fact that we don't know how much there's going to be a couple benzos in there almost certainly mm-hmm. there's going to be um will be an attempt made already with caffeine to keep the user alive. That's another reason why they put caffeine in there is yeah. because it helps counter some of the um, cardiovascular suppressive effects of Zalazine. So they put lots of caffeine in there. Uh, you got the benzos, you got the, the fentanyl or whatever carfentanyl is in there. And you you have to somehow, you're going to have to issue a alpha two antagonist on top of, you know, if, if you want to put like blue um, I'm not familiar with, it. what did you say the trade name was? Anexate. Anexate. Thank you. If you want to put that in there too, you can imagine the, like how tricky it would be. Yeah. Like, how do you, how do you know whether you're doing more harm than good? Right especially like if you want a product that that anyone could just give somebody impossible. Yeah. I think so. I think so,
1: man, (laughs) you know, (laughs) you know, so maybe, I mean, just, just with like the, the complexity of that, the, the obvious next part of the conversation or, or the, at some point in the conversation comes back to safe supply. Well, how does it not, right? Like, it's like, that sounds, I, I I don't think there's anyone out there on any, on a street level, on a casual drug user level who says this sounds really great. This sounds so nasty, right? Like,
0: well, this is getting beyond ridiculous at this point. Like, uh, and I, I'll, I'll be honest with everybody right now. And I, I think part of the reason it's, it, it's not just because I'm busy with other things that, that I'm less interested in churning out episodes of this podcast. Uh, I could tell everybody that I am very discouraged. I'm very disheartened. And, uh, uh, that's not a hard state of mind for me to get to at the best of times, but, what I'm seeing out there, uh the responses that I'm seeing, I, I just it's it's difficult to to see a realistic way out of the, out of this uh based on the on on what we've learned and what we've seen and and the reaction thus far. Mm-hmm. Um so I think I I I think I should kind of just put that out there, Corey. And I, I don't know if, if how you feel about that. But, but for me, this podcast is getting more difficult uh, because I, I don't know how this ends well. Yeah. I don't know. Do do you get that?
1: Uh, Yeah, absolutely. You know, there's a, I think there, there are waves of, I see waves of, of interest or concern within the public. Uh, within sort of the general public, if you are connected to it, if you have experienced it firsthand, you um, feel it differently, mm. and, and feel the when the wave kind of goes out, when the, when the tide goes out on the issue, you feel that more too. You know, and uh, yeah, I, I I think there's a such a general fatigue. There's a fatigue and a, and a apathy. And those are two different things, but a fatigue from the people who, who give a shit for sure. You know, I was going to, I was going to mention as we were doing this podcast, cause we're just talking about antidotes and stuff, you know, in, in Abbotsford, which is very close to me, which has a very high, um, homeless population. You know, there's a, this main corridor into Abbotsford and there's, it's lined with trees and they've, the individuals that are living in in this tent community have hung naloxone kits from trees so you drive through this corridor and there's the trees are lined with naloxone kits which is kind of a brilliant idea but it's also such a commentary on like on it kind of feels like a it feels like a there's a defeat in that like what what kind of a society is this right like like oh like to me it felt like a a bit of a white flag
0: that like yes
1: like no one's no one's gonna help us
0: man that that that's exactly what that is that that is just a yeah that is a surreal image man
1: yeah it is it is and um oh so yeah i i i hear you on on the feeling of defeat for a variety of reasons, but there's still such important stuff going on. It's still a, an evolving story. It's still one for me that's, that's near and dear to me, but I think, uh, I think it's good to say it too.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I acknowledge it. And, uh, look, I mean, if we can, if we can keep digging and keep learning, Um, I mean, that's kind of the garden that we're, we're able to tend to, right? Um, if, if, if a couple people listen to this and they, they learn something and they're able to transmit that information to somebody else, it turns it into a better outcome for that individual, then that's a win. And, and I I think we got to concentrate on those, uh, those type of wins more because the,
1: for sure for sure yeah. and you know we, we bringing it back to our our origin came from the what was happening in the healthcare system and what we what we experienced navigating uh recovery through the healthcare system in a variety of ways and and the community that we became attached to and uh and what I'll say there is i have felt that the stigma of that is that is imposed upon the person who used substances is bigger than ever, actually, Mm -hmm. Uh, from, from the community that I see. Um, it's moving in a, in kind of the opposite direction that you may, might expect, but there's also some really good things happening with, with people challenging it and people questioning it and, um, and people standing up for themselves. And, and so that's what I kind of, um, am feeling motivated by right now or or encouraged by is that people are saying wait a second (laughs) i don't deserve this yeah um and i hope people do that on on every level right now (laughs) healthcare or not people who are experiencing homelessness or people who have lost loved ones um i hope that there's more of that saying we don't deserve what we're getting right now
0: yeah 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 certainly yeah and and, yeah you got to look at the uh you got to look at the micro issues, and um, we know everybody knows that we're facing multiple systemic malfunctions of an unprecedented degree. That's yeah, that's the backdrop, and uh, there's not much we could do about that right now. But we don't know, you know. I mean, uh, we 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 don't know what things will look like in a year. We don't know for sure what's going to happen, uh, you know, with uh, the way this is addressed in Canada. Sometimes it looks like it's going the, the wrong direction. sometimes there's you know there's uh, and, and I, I'm not I guess I should also make it, make it clear that I mean, I don't know if safe supply is the answer to this as far huh. as I, well, I do know it's not a long-term solution like unless it's implemented in a in a different way than it's being implemented right now. I know safe supply is saving lives yeah that i know but there's also problems with the way it's it's kind of being rolled out and, and and there's the politics behind it is complicating things to a degree that you know is is really tough to kind of tolerate i guess but uh at least uh, at least that's going on and i could i i mean i could go all the way and say this i le- let's say canada uh grows a set as a nation, we decide we're gonna <laughs> we're going to not take any more bullshit. The, we, we sign on with uh let's make it uh actually we could do NAFTA. So we go Mexico, the states, Canada. We get together and we decide, look, we got a problem. Big problem. Mm-hmm. Mexico's got a problem with cartels. That's a big problem. The states could help with that, but we've got another problem that's even bigger, and that is China. And I'm talking in a geopolitical sense, in that the way trade between us and China has been happening is, is that this stuff is is being allowed to come out of an authoritarian regime with less resistance than I believe it could be, uh, mm-hmm. it could be imposed. Mm-hmm. So maybe let's say we totally shut down trade with China absolutely uh, uh contingent upon you know the only trade that would happen would be after a period of uh you know kind of a reset and then we and then the second we see any fentanyl analog of any kind coming out of china it shuts down again in other mm-hmm. words put maximum pressure on those countries uh you know i don't want to pick on china but let's face it that's where most of this stuff is coming from yeah so maybe if we did that in conjunction with full scale commercialization and regulation of all drugs, maybe then we would, we would stop this. Yeah. That's, you know, that's how far I think we, we would have to go on a, on a macro level. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, you like try making that happen. Yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah and, and i guess the, the other the question is like how much do people care how much do the policymakers care to to create significant international tension well
0: significant yeah what so you're asking what i'm asking the states to do is back us up i'm asking the states to basically go to war with parts of mexico because mm-hmm. we don't really have the capacity and I'm asking them to like protect us from international wrath. Right. That's what yeah. I, that's yeah. what, that's the ask of our big yeah. brother. But at what point is that, is the problem so significant that we come to such, uh, you know, such an overwhelmingly intense response? I don't know. Yeah. I mean, we've asked this for a long time, right? How many people need to die? Does it yeah. have to be the right type of people dying? Does it have to be politicians? No, so maybe it has to be like multiple politicians dying themselves or or policymakers who have family members. I know we've already seen that though. You know, we've mm-hmm. we've, we've had this happen. So I don't know. I, I guess maybe a, a large part of it is going to boil down to um, – the public's attitude towards yeah. the problem yeah, uh, because that's what the politicians are they'll just go where the votes are right uh so yeah until it becomes until people feel it enough until it's close enough to them personally then i don't think there'll be enough political pressure to you know even begin to exert the type of change that would be necessary
1: yeah yeah so. i agree with you i agree with you but and it, it, you know and it comes it comes back to like there's so many facets of this of this issue and and, and you know in our, one of our, our our last episode that we did we talked about the rehab facilities and and uh what well, what was the word that was that was used? Um, recidivism. recidivism. <laughs> <laughs> and this is, I mean, this is we're, we're. This conversation is fluid, so maybe we just let it be as fluid as it is, Nathan. Um, or we cut this piece up into a sec- separate section. But since since you're here and since we're talking about all of this stuff, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I can't remember if it was just last week or two weeks ago. Now, maybe two weeks ago. Now that that, uh, that Matthew Perry from friends died Mm -hmm. and we don't know the cause of death for Matthew. And there's a, and and I think everybody who, uh, or a lot of people that I've heard in response to his death said, Oh, I hope it, you know, I hope it wasn't, uh, I hope he didn't relapse or slip. Mm. I hope it was something, you know, I hope that he died of natural causes. First of all, like that's going to make it actually, sad or like, you know, like it wouldn't be sad if he did die of an overdose. It's a funny little sort of asterisk that people put there, you know? Yeah, it is. Um, and that's, a that goes back to stigma, of course. Mm. But the other part that's, that fascinates me so much about him is that, you know, in his, the book that he released last, last year, he said, you know, he spent somewhere between, I've heard $6 million. I've heard $9 million on, on rehab. And holy shit. Mm. That to me, you talk about sad. That, that is appalling and tragic that, that, uh, that there were our facilities that were, that took that much money from one individual. Um, and there was a part of me that heard that and thought, well, if he, if he did die of an overdose, maybe that will draw attention to how shitty that system of banking on recidivism is and, and how unregulated some of these facilities are. Um, And it's all connected here. You know, it's, there's, this whole issue is connected. It's, you know, it's a, this is a a diversion from uh, talking about Trankdo, but it's kind of all in the same cluster. Yeah. And I just, yeah.
0: Uh, Yeah. Well, it goes back to, not having the right weapons yeah I, I mean that's that's the only other way that i could think of uh that this could be addressed would be with uh through a uh, technological breakthrough yeah uh, and not what i'm talking about is something that would be akin to uh insulin for diabetes mm-hmm. you're mm-hmm. talking about something like uh, uh maybe deep brain stimulation or gene editing something that could it's not so much about Part of it would be like getting the person out of the hole first, you know, so mm-hmm. you got to somehow get them, have some kind of medical treatment that gets them through acute, which we do, we can put you in a coma and get you through that. Uh, but I mean, even that's pretty dangerous, really, but uh, it is possible and it is done. So we can mm-hmm. get you through acute, but we need something for post-acute that, that mm-hmm. is the, and, and so what I mean by that is we need something that makes it so that once the acute withdrawal symptoms have worn off and the person is down in there wondering what to do with their life, we need to be able to give them a true, a true fresh start and, and that might even mean addressing some of the personality traits or genetic or epigenetic traits mm-hmm. that lead to, people like you and me to drugs in the first place. Mm-hmm. I suspect that there is a strong epigenetic uh, mechanism that is at play. And maybe this is related to like, a, you know, Gabor Maté, you know, his statement about trauma is always involved in addiction and how um, I don't quite like, I believe that's like maybe 90% correct, but I don't agree with him fully. There's something else in there. And I think that, and you could argue that, well, you know, uh, trauma does elicit epigenetic responses and trauma is generational and, and which is true. We know that. Um, Mm -hmm. but I think as far as a treatment and a real treatment is concerned, we need something that you can, you can go to a clinic and basically come out of that clinic with a fresh perspective (laughs) on life. And I'm yeah. not talking about making life like instantly putting you into a state of like Brave New World, uh, you know, soma-style bliss. I'm talking like <laughs> just giving the person a chance, mm-hmm. you know, so they're not dealing with. I mean, how, how are you going to tell some of the, the people I'm seeing here? They're they're hanging on by a thread. There's no way out for them with our current technology or medicine. There's no way. Yeah. They're, all it is, all it's just a it's only a matter of time before they either succumb to the drugs they're using or somehow by some miracle, maybe they have a kid or some motivational thing happens in their life where they stop using, but the damage done from these type of drugs, I'm not talking about the actual drugs that they're after. I'm talking about all these uh, additives and, and cutting agents and stuff that are yeah. just shredding your microvasculature in your body who, who, it does cross uh, like and crosses the blood brain barrier who knows what it's doing to uh your nerve tissue up there those type of things you know how do you how do you deal with that that's kind of what we need to be able to do yeah so, uh maybe maybe uh, one day we'll have be- we'll have the ability to do that yeah yeah and and if,
1: uh, there will have to be Yeah. Big systemic changes, big, Mm -hmm. big systemic changes.
0: Yeah. And until then, I guess we just accept death as a part of life and do the best we can with the tools we have and try to be nice to each other and all that jazz. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. But, but do you
1: feel like, and especially you've, you know, still working on, on the front lines, do you feel like Sisyphus? I'm sure. Yeah, man.
0: Yeah, of course I do. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I mean it's uh, it's very difficult. It's uh, spiritually draining, like, but uh, but whatever. I mean, my that's nothing in comparison to what some people have, for sure. Have dealt sure. with. Anyway, uh, great chat, Corey. Yes, always. And uh, thanks everybody for listening. Thank you for our. Uh, uh, we have some new. Um, Patreon members, thank you yeah. for your contributions. We appreciate it greatly and we will do our best to continue on in this uh, difficult subject matter. Yeah. Thanks, everybody. Bye bye.